All right, welcome to School Facilities and Operations. My name is Burke Jones and I'm the host. Um, and every week we have some really cool conversations with uh, other K-12 facility operations people um, and also those trade partners that support us um, where we have them on and really ask them good questions about things we need to know. But today I am joined with, by Chris Crockett he is the director of facilities for Turner USD 202, which is a suburb of the Kansas City metro area. Um, so welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to see you, Bert. Well, um, well, thank you for coming on. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to the position you are today? And um, then I always ask somebody, everybody to tell us one thing about themselves that you wouldn't talk about on LinkedIn. Sure. So something fun, some hobby or something like that. Oh goodness. Okay. So my my story on my path is is probably somewhat unique. Um, so straight out of high school, I went to work for a pizza restaurant and continued to work for them for about 15 years. And um, obviously became a manager and, and a leader on that team. And it was a really good experience, but I began to get bored with it and um, started doing some remodeling and things like that and um, actually left the company to do my own thing with remodeling and that was in 2008 to 2009 which is when everything collapsed um, so in a pinch after uh, going through some really tough times I reached out to a, a friend that I had met through the construction process who happened to be the director of facilities at KU um, on the housing side and I landed a job with that team um, as a as a uh, on call type sub at ten dollars and fifty cents an hour or something ridiculous, um, and then landed a full time role with them. Um, I was with KU for about a year and a half, and I had lived in Topeka at the time and was spending about four hundred dollars a week and or a month in gas going back and forth between Lawrence and Topeka. And a position opened up at Auburn Washburn um, as a plumber, which is the school district I graduated from. And okay. I thought that would be really unique and neat. So I went to my supervisor, Doug, uh, Doug Carter at KU and said, hey, I'm gonna put in for this position. He said, well, I, I'm a member of KADPF. I know Rich Jones, I'll put in a word for you and, and hopefully that helps. Long story short, I got the job. Um, loved working for Auburn Washburn. It was a wonderful, wonderful job. They put me through HVAC school as a plumber. And then as I was graduating from HVAC school, a position opened up as a uh, energy specialist. So I put in for that position, landed it. And um, after I had that program going so smooth, I started assisting Rich on managing projects and, and all of that and um, became his right-hand person for a few years. And, Turner actually reached out to KDPF wanting to advertise their facility director opening on the website. And uh, that is, I said, fine, I'm gonna put it on the website, but I'm gonna also put it in for the job. And um, six years later, here I am. So it, uh, you know, that, that I was explaining to you previously why, why I'm so passionate about the, the KDPF Kansas Association of Plant Facility Directors organization, that's why. Right. So were you actually, were you on the board at so that I, time? Yeah. So um, when I became the energy specialist, 
um, I attended the, the conference with Rich and I said, wow, this is really neat. I'd like to get involved. And I became the uh, media coordinator for quite a few years. In fact, until last year when Scott Bennett from, from Bonner took it over, I was the media coordinator for KPBS. Okay. So I'm currently the president, which is okay. crazy to say. Yeah, we'll come back to that for a little bit. But sure. so what's something about what do you like to do out when you're not working or? Um, so I've got 10-year-old twins. So they keep me very, very busy. Um, love spending time with them. Um, yeah, I, that just it, between kids and work. I mean, you know the, the time we have to put in and um, it just, that pretty much consumes me. Yeah. Well, I think you got a fascinating story on how you ended up here. Um, what I've found talking to everybody is that there is a thousand ways to work your way towards one of these roles like we're in. Absolutely. Um, and it's really fascinating. Um, just the different paths people take. Um, and it really makes me think like I look around my shop and my, you know, my maintenance team and like who could like, is there a guy out there right now that can like come up through the ranks and want sure. to do something more so no, and I'm, I'm constantly looking for the same thing i have you know folks on my ground team folks on my custodial team that i mean quite honestly they could do my job um they couldn't do it to the level i do it um but they could get there and right. I'm constantly looking for those people to develop and um you know one of one of the things about being a leader is you you're never afraid of being replaced um you're always trying to you know, help other people succeed and, and learn more. Yeah. Have you ever read um, The Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell? I have. I Yeah. So, yeah, I follow that quite quite a bit. Yeah. So when I, when I first came to Kansas City, for the first year and a half, I commuted. So I had two hours each day, and I listened to a lot of audiobooks. And yeah. a lot of stuff on leadership, a lot of John Covey, a lot of that stuff. Well, I just finished reading it. I never read it. Um, but if you guys are, if anybody out there is like struggling to um, figure out how to lead, I think it's a, it should be a mandatory book because a lot of leadership books, they're just like kind of this pie in the sky kind of stuff. But this actually almost gives you a roadmap on how to move from like a level one. Like the only reason people follow you is because you have the title. Mm -hmm how to move up to the next level and the next level and the next level until you're like generating your own leaders. Right. Yeah. So a couple of other great ones. Um, so after I interviewed at Turner, I stopped back at KU kind of nostalgically, you know, revisited Doug and let him know what I was doing. And um, he asked what type of leader I was. And I said, well, I, or I think he may have said manager. And I said, well, I don't know what you're trying to get to. And he said, here, I want you to read this book. And he, I think he gave me the book, um, but it's uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. Um, I highly recommend that book. And then uh, Strength, sorry, Strengths Finder is another really, really good one. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, I'm trying to read, um, well, a couple of reasons. One, I set a goal for myself to read 10 pages a day this year. Because I like to read. I just never take the time to read. So I set that goal and then I'm doing this kind of um, 
I won't really call it a fitness program, but it kind of is this thing called 75 hard where basically you work out and drink so much water and this whole thing for 75 days. But one of the requirements is to read 10 pages a day. So I'm making it through a lot of books. Good for you. Yeah. So if, if you don't mind really quick, I know we, can I kind of get off the subject a little bit? So when we were talking prior to this about the, uh, the, conference coming up for KDBF in October. Um, one of the other things that I that I want one of at least one of the sessions to focus on is um, self-help and self-help. Um, you know, folks in our roles, there is a um, staggering number of heart attacks, of uh, not just not healthy habits. So to hear you doing that, that's that's amazing. I you know, part of it is as someone that wants to preach a mission or whatever, you want to live by example. Um, so I've, I've thought about that for about the last month on, you know, how can I get healthier? How can I, in October, be in a better place than I am now and say, not only am I saying you need to do this, I'm doing it myself. Yeah. So that's, I'm going to check out what you just mentioned. Well, I like to eat way more than I like to work out. So... <laughs> Right there with you. But 75 hard is an interesting thing. I mean, just a brief rundown is it's two 45-minute workouts a day. Um, one of them has to be outside. Now, when you say workouts, like sometimes, most of the time, I just walk twice a day for 45 minutes. That's you know? fantastic. But like this morning, it was 12 degrees and negative two wind chill, and I was walking my dog for 45 minutes. Um so, but it's really cool because like you kind of feel like a stud because you're like the only person out there, right? Like everybody else is inside still. Um, and then one day it was pouring rain, had still did it, you know? Good for so you, you got to read 10 pages a day, drink a gallon of water a day, um, follow some kind of a diet. Now that it doesn't have to be like some extreme thing. It's just like, hey, I'm going to, you could just say, I'm going to be intentional about what I'm eating. Mm -hmm. Like. Um, and then no alcohol. I'm so, done. I'm going to have to look through your program. Sorry. Yeah. About that. <laughs> but I would, love to, I would love to jump on board, but ah, that's a tough one. It, you know, it is. And I'm not, yeah, yeah. I like a bur <laughs> bourbon once a week, but I'm not doing that right now. So, um, and the idea is, is it's really just about, I think it, more than getting in shape is just about being, you know, increasing your mental toughness and your discipline. Sure. But I'm on first. 16 or 17 so I'm far. Yeah. Oh, I'm on day 16 or 17 days into it, I think. Um, so it's been good. But anyway, yeah, I like your idea because we do. We have, a, we have high stress positions and work a lot. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't take a whole lot of lunch breaks. And um, so and that's, that's part of it, right? I mean, we get so tied up in our day, we put ourselves into a rut and, you know, we're two hours past lunch, we're starving, so we swing through a McDonald's. Exactly. Uh, regardless of all the intentions, you know, it would take the same amount of time to walk into a subway and get a takeout sandwich, um, but it's so much easier just to hit the drive through. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So what's going on at Turner? You guys... You said earlier, you're coming off a bond. Um, um, I, mean, I, would, 
that is how you guys have kind of stretched some of that money a little bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we passed a bond in 2019 to build a new middle school. Um, and part of that strategy was, so we, we asked the community for the money to build the middle school and, um, about another 30% to do capital improvements. So the total of the bond was 41 million, 31 was for the middle school, 10 was for capital improvements. And at the same time, we wanted to build a uh, new stadium, a new football field, soccer field. Um, so uh, what we did, because you can't, you can, I think you can build a stadium with bond funds, but if you do, you don't get stated. So we used our capital improvement budget to build the stadium um, and offset that with the bond revenue to do capital improvements. Okay. That makes sense. So we got the state aid. Um, now you have to be very, very careful to not spend a single bond dollar on that project, which we were right. cautious on. Um, and then, you know, build the middle school. So in the last four years, we've built a new middle school, spent uh, almost $12 million on a stadium um, that is just incredible. It's got the most gorgeous view. Um, you can actually, we're not... We're not that far from the legends and the speedway, but from the stadium, you can see the speedway. Oh, that's cool. So it's it's just really cool, neat setting. Um, but then as we all know, we've gone through ESSER funds. Um, we've gone through lots of different revenue sources that we didn't see coming in 2019. So we were able to stretch that $10 million approved in the bond through ESSER and all of that other to at least, at least 12 million. And I say that because we just, within the last two weeks got approved for a $1.7 million ESSER project. Um, our high school is, a, is set up with 175 water source heat pumps. Um, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so those, the high school is built in 2000. So all of those water source heat pumps are 23 years old. Not right. all of them, but a majority of them. Um, so we are going through this summer and replacing 110 of those units with that $1.7 million. That's just one of 110 different capital improvement projects we have going this summer. Wow. It's nuts. So it, it would be easier to say what's not going on. At <laughs> yeah. But if, if you, if you, if you want to know my opinion, what I'm most proud of since I came on the team in 2017 is the improvement in our appearance as, as far as facilities. Our grounds team has been night and day from 2017 to now. Uh, we've got them a lot of equipment. Um, a lot of the staff has changed out to more qualified staff. Um, and our appearance probably went from a, on a 10 scale, um, I would say from a five or six to an eight or nine. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Really community to drive around. Yeah, that's awesome. Because it's really, that's your, like we've talked about it on other episodes, like our front door. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I see when I pull into the parking lot? When I, what do I see when I walk to the front door? It kind of tells me the way the building's also going to be maintained. Absolutely. So in 2019, maybe, um, Dr. Brenda Dietrich, uh, who was the former superintendent at Auburn Washburn, current uh, Kansas senator, I believe, um, she was our keynote speaker at the conference. And when I worked at Auburn Washburn, I knew that she was very adamant about no dandelions anywhere in our district. 
And I never understood it. And I thought maybe she just had a hang up on dandelions. So I asked her that question and she actually talked about it in her keynote speech. Um, the school buildings set the tone for the community. So the appearance of the school building dictates to a lot of the homeowners and community members how they should maintain their buildings, their mm -hmm. houses. So, you know, if the schools look great, they're going to keep the yards cut, they'll take care of their weeds. And I'll be darned, it, it's 100% accurate. How many, how many buildings do you, do you guys have? Like we have nine, including a recreation community center, which was formerly, I believe, the high school. Okay. Back in, it was built, I want to say, it just turned 100 years old. Um, so it was built in the 1920s. Okay. So you guys applying a lot of uh, weed killer in the spring then to get rid of all the damage? You know, we, we actually, we do put, we, you know, we do spread, spread some broadleaf treatment, but we've actually found a way to maintain it through, um, and I'd have to get my grounds guys, but we found a way to maintain it through, you know, just fertilizing and, and overseeding and all of that stuff. Right. And if you keep the, if you keep it well groomed and aerated and all of that, the weeds aren't right. Yeah, it sure does. Aren't as prevalent. Yeah. So you're over maintenance grounds and facilities basically Custodial, yeah yeah so i've got about 60 folks that report to me okay. um, not directly there are some buffers in there um i've got nine head custodians um eight uh night lead custodians so my head custodians work during the day right leads oversee the teams at night um i've got a ground supervisor and maintenance supervisor and then I'm very blessed. It's kind of a unique position that I created. Our head custodian at the high school was here for 40 years and retired. Um, and after his capers waiting time, I hired him back as a part-time. Um, and actually now he's in a full-time role, but he helps manage all the custodial services throughout the district. Oh, wow. It's, I'm very, very blessed. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna be popular when I state this, but we are also fully staffed. So that's good. You know, we are, we, I've been on a hiring spree the last couple of weeks. And that's awesome. Um, we are basically, I think I've got one spot, like one head custodian role that I still need to fill, but it just became available. So I technically have two openings on custodial services, but I have seven um substitutes that i can call on any time so i consider it fully staffed yeah i would consider that yeah absolutely well that's fantastic so on that note one of the ways that i got through covid um so back in 2018 we started hiring we've always hired subs over the summer so we hire about 20 to 25. in 2018 we started hiring high school students to help us over the summer. And then some of those folks ended up staying on as on-call subs throughout the school year. So when yeah. the school gets out, they can stay at the building and help clean it or you know, catch a ride to one of the elementaries and help there. At one point, I had like 15 on-call subs through 2020 and 21. Um, and that really, really helped. There were several times that I would have a whole team out on, the high school team, seven custodians, out because they met in a room and somebody popped positive with COVID and they all had to quarantine. 
right. guys, I've asked you not to be in the same room, um, but they still did it. And uh, we were able to make it through with that. It was, it was really remarkable. That, that is remarkable. I think what's turned the corner for us is we've started advertising on Indeed. So nope. we put our job postings on there. They still have to apply on our district mm -hmm. website, but I just basically email everybody that looks interesting to me. I just like, hey, you need to apply on our district website, but I wanna go ahead and schedule an interview with you. Please call my assistant. And even if they haven't applied when I interview them, they can just do it right there while we're talking if, if they want to. So nice. I figured just get people in the door and start talking to them yep. and reduce the number of hoops they have to jump through initially. And I, I don't know about your district, but it can take me three weeks to get somebody through from the door to onboard. Oh yeah. And yeah. March is going to be terrible because we have one board meeting. Um, oh. We don't have to take them to a board meeting, but it's just by the time they get their physical and their TB test and the background check, it's two weeks at the fastest. Every single one of mine has to go through a uh, uh, board before they can start. So oh, wow. if I interview somebody March 10th, they can't start until the second Wednesday or first Wednesday in April, whatever that looks like. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. So, um, capital outlay, do you guys, one thing I'm struggling with and I'll pick your brain about is, you know, let's say I have like an 800,000, I don't know. I'll just say, I think it's probably an $800,000 mechanical project. Mm -hmm. Are you having engineers like design everything early and then sending those out to a contractor to get some real pricing before? the year before it's complicated right i mean because our capital improvement plans depending on how your district operates they could have mine was approved back in august um and we've seen a tremendous spike since then um so and and i'm sorry we were seeing a tremendous spike prior to then right but if you look back in 2019 when i was trying to project out you know replacing a chiller was going to be a hundred hundred and fifty thousand dollars and now it's 250. Uh, you, didn't, you just didn't see that coming. Um, so what, what I have to do in that situation is justify to the board and the superintendent, hey, this project is, is really, really important and we're going to have to cut this other project that we plan on doing because it's coming in over. Um, I've got plenty of examples of that just from this year. Um, that it's just, it, you know, we, we're, there's a lot that's expected of us. Um, not only are we supposed to know how to manage the folks and deal with employee situations and know what needs to happen to make the day run smoothly and, and not have an impact on the classroom, um, to being able to project budgets and, and manage projects. You know, it's just, it's insane the stuff that, that, uh, that falls on us. So I, I just think there has to be some grace there. And yeah. certainly in these times, folks understand um, you know, I had a rooftop unit on one of the elementaries that controls the office area, thank goodness. Um, it went down at the end of the school year last year, and the motor for that unit literally took 90 days to get in. Um, so that unit, that area was without cooling for that period of time. And I right. said, goodness, because it, I'd rather have it be the office than the classrooms. 
Yeah, I know. Cause I'm, yeah, I'm hearing like, um, seven, eight, nine, ten ton rooftop units. If you order it today, you'll get it in September. Right. And that doesn't I mean, work for us. That scares me to death. Yeah, it should. I, it, so when that, when that rooftop unit went down, I was literally looking at it. It's only five years old, but I was like, hey, if we can get a new unit quicker than we can get the motor, let's do that. Right. Um, I had you know mechanical contractors all around Kansas City checking their yards to see if they had one. Um, right. But yeah, ended up we just had to wait. Yeah. So all that ESSER money, all those have to be prevailing wage projects, right? Absolutely, yes. So that's a very, very important thing um, because it almost slipped by us. Um, one of the things you have to do with the capital ESSER project is ask your engineer or someone to sign off on um, one sheet of paper that says you're going to follow these five rules. Um, and when I sent it to the engineer, he's actually designed a ton of other projects across the state of Kansas. Um, but when I sent it to him, he was like, you know, I'm going to check into this. So he looked up those five bullet points. And one of them was that all of the projects have to be, uh, have to follow the Davis-Bacon Act, meaning that they all have to be union wages. Right. Um, and I had already bid the project before we found this out. We submitted our whole package to the, to the state and they said, oh, you're missing this one sheet. Just have, your, have somebody sign off on it. Um, so that engineer called me that next day and he's like, Hey, this isn't great. Um, and I said, okay, so what we ended up doing, we had literally just had the bid opening. Um, and I couldn't just reach out. It was the bid opening. There were three, three bidders, two union, one non-union and the non-union was the lowest bid and they were all qualified. Um, so in order to make sure that we handled it appropriately, we just rebid it in another week and said, you have to follow the Davis-Bacon Act. You all know each other's numbers, do your best. And um, actually what ended up transpiring, a whole new uh, vendor jumped in the mix and ended up winning it. Oh, but wow. They're a union shop and they had the lowest number. So away we go. That's it. It actually saved us $200,000. Huh. It went from 1.7 to 1.5 interesting yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> crazy stuff yeah, yeah it's never... very important um so once we found out about the davis bacon act we reached out to ksde um dean um who is the head of purchasing with federal funds um for ksde we jumped on a call um and he said that what's happening is um, a lot of the districts are, you know, jumping into these projects and they're going to follow up, you know, they're going to get caught in an audit down the road and right. don't know what that penalty is going to be. Um, but it's, it's not going to be pretty, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Cause there's probably is people out there doing it without following that. Cause in right. Kansas, for people in the other parts of the country, unions are probably much more prevalent, but in the state of Kansas, they're not. Right. Like it, it's just not. It, well, and that's the thing that that's the federal part, right? So the ESSER funds are all federal money. And right. I, I did not realize the huge difference between using federal funds and not using federal funds. Right. Yeah. It's a big one. Well, anything else we ought to cover off here? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, it's totally, totally your call. I, 
let's we talk about we talk the rest of the day on different subjects right i think let's talk a little bit about um just a few minutes about the importance of being in a, a part of an organization like kvpf sure. and why you know us being involved in that you think is is a good thing and maybe it should be like required or you know yeah and i required seems seems like a strong one right but right i think that one of the most important things is just developing that network um of, of other districts around you um you know we're all super busy and we all are pushed for time every single day but to take a couple hours and, and network with the with the local local districts is huge it's not yeah. only huge um, educationally, it's huge emotionally. Um, just to share all the stuff you're going through with somebody else that's in the same shoes um, is very releasing and, and relaxing. Yeah. Um, you know, the conference in October every year is has always been great. Um, the vendors are, there's always new technology, new equipment. Um, you know, I, one example of a conference that was super successful in my opinion personally um i was walking the trade show floor and saw that one of the vendors had a siemens sign up and at the time i had a bunch of airco boilers that were um going through an issue with the safety shutoff valve failing and to buy that from the person that distributes the boilers it's a four thousand dollar part um, i was like hey can you get these by chance and he said well let me get back to you um, about 20 minutes later, he chased me down in a different part of the trade show. And he's like, Hey, I can get those for 1200 bucks. And I was like, I'll take four of them right now. And I called the office, got a PO. He made a $5,000 sale right there on the floor. Right. Uh, and I saved my district a ton of money. Right. And they, you know, they kept that contact and now they're saving money continuously. Yeah. Um, just do that one, one thing. So, um, not only are the breakout sessions informational, um, I think that there's a lot of stuff that comes from just the networking um, from the vendors to members, um, but also just amongst the vendors and amongst, amongst the members. They, the network that we create is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, that's been, I mean, I, like I tell you earlier, I've been here three years, but I've only made it to one of the conferences between COVID and some other scheduling conflicts, but I'm really looking forward to this year. Um, now that I'm a little more ingrained in my so, role, getting to know some other people from around the state, I think it'll be a ton of fun. You bet. Yeah. So this year is going to be, I mean, we're focusing very, very heavily. We, we've reflected quite a bit the last couple of years on what do we offer um, the members or the vendors throughout the year. Um, and when the answer was, you know, we do a conference every October, that wasn't really a great answer, right? So we're starting to create, you know, multiple lunch and learns throughout the year. We're putting out a newsletter. Um, it's it's more often than quarterly, but that's our goal is to do it minimal minimally every quarter. Um, but there is a newsletter that's getting ready to come out probably next week at this point because tomorrow's Friday, um, and I help put that together. Um, but one of the things we're announcing is that at the lunch on Monday during this conference. Um, we're going to bring in a guest speaker, and that's Dr. Randy Watson, the Commissioner of Education for the State of Kansas. So it's going to be that's we're, we're really really proud of that. Regardless of uh, 
political views. He is the commissioner for education for the state of Kansas and um, should give us a, a really good speech. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super exciting because I think anytime we can get someone at that level to recognize the work we do um, absolutely. Is, is priceless. And to speak to that, you know, one of the things that we've discussed for years is developing the accreditation program like Missouri has. Um, yep. The thing that we struggle with is how do we make it tangible and how do we make it powerful or have an impact on, on our positions? Um, we are kind of slow rolling that because NSPMA, the National School Plant Managers Association, is supposed to be coming out with curriculum. Um, so we wouldn't have to develop it from day one. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Regardless, building the, building the relationship with KSDE offers us an opportunity to ask them in the future, hey, will you endorse this? Right, right. So. I think it's a fantastic thing. I think there's some, in the Northeast part of the United States, I think there's some states up there that have a similar, mm -hmm. like a certification or. In fact, in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, it's required to be in yeah. our position. You have to have that accreditation. Yeah, which I'm okay with that. I think anything <laughs> that, elevate the profession um i wouldn't be here i wouldn't training. be here because i'm not uh certified but i agree with you I, I would love to get certified yeah um i remember my very first day here the person i replaced said i cannot believe they didn't make sure you were a certified uh, uh facilities manager and i said well they, they didn't um in fact nobody probably knows that i don't have a college degree um, barely got out of high school, honestly, but I have a trade school degree. Right. Um, but regardless, everything's worked out great for me. Yeah. And for yeah. the industry. Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I say, I saw your talk a couple of years ago at the conference and um, as we were coming out of COVID. And um, I think that's the first time and only time we've ever met. But um, I was impressed with what you did there. Well, thank um, you. I try to make sure I put a, plenty of research into what I talk about before I talk about it. Um, because once it comes out of your mouth, it's really hard to take back. Exactly. Well, I wrap up, up every episode by asking everybody the same three questions. So kind of a rapid fire. You don't have to elaborate unless you want to, but like, so what would your family say that you do for a living? So interestingly enough, I, I listened to a lot of your podcasts before this, and I listened to them over the last few days. And I knew this was coming. So last night when my daughter and I were, my 10-year-old daughter was, we were heading to pick up dinner. I said, hey, Claire, what would you, what would you say I do for a living? And she thought about it really hard. And she said, well, you're on the board of directors for a school and you deal with a lot of people and a lot of situations and you fix a lot of stuff. <laughs> so at 10, she's, pretty much nailed it. I, I said, well, I'm not on the school board. And she said, no, you work for the school board. And I said, okay, yeah. So That's she good. For a 10 year old, I'd say she nailed it. Yeah. the You fix a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yes. Constantly. So or do you use a uh, paper planner or are you digital? I am 100% a mess and I use both. Um, I prefer digital because it's always there. That being said, I just within the last week got a new computer and my old hard drive was corrupted or whatever. Um, so a lot of the stuff that was on that is gone. Um, but 
I transfer a lot of it via email and things, so I'm able to download it and I'll be fine. Um, but I do keep a paper trail for, I, one of the probably more unique things I do is the way I prepare for audits. Um, so when my capital improvement plan gets, gets approved, um, I start a book and every RFP, every advertisement, every PO goes in that book categorized. And then when the auditor comes, they get the book and they're able to find everything they need. Um, this year it's three books, but <laughs> literally so far we're thinking about adding a fourth. Wow. Yeah. You guys have a busy year then. It's crazy. So do you get your best work done? What time of the day do you get your best work done? The only time of the day that I don't get my work done is in the morning. <laughs> and I've heard everybody else say, I get it. Oh, I get up bright and early. I am a terrible morning person. I get a lot more work done between 10 o'clock at night and one in the morning than I do any other part of the day. Yeah. Um, because of the family and, and work, my day pretty much, I take the kids to school every morning. Um, so I don't get in until about 8.30. Um, and I give the district everything I have until about four o'clock. And then I head home and give my family everything I have. And then I go back to work. Yeah. So I get, you know, six, five, six hours of sleep a night. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's always one thing or the other. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this was a really fun kind of, uh, round Robin or I don't know, flowing. Hopefully, hopefully somebody takes something out of it. <laughs> well we covered enough topics somebody should enjoy at least one part of this i hope yeah um, well thank I know you, you you usually ask about contact information yeah if uh if anybody wants to reach out to me i think you put my email down there but my my cell number is the best way to reach me anybody okay. is more than welcome to call whenever um my cell number is 785-250-4590 all right well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, have a great week. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it very much. Take care.